Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? This week, we'll be discussing Steric from the MTV series Teen Wolf. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. It is a show that I had watched, but you had not when we started preparing for this. It was completely new to me. I I missed Teen Wolf when it was on the air. So the ship we're talking about is called Steric. The, the characters are Styles and Derek. And Derek is a wolf, though not necessarily a teen. And <laughs> and Styles is a teen and not a wolf. Their ship name could be Teen Wolf. It really should be. That's wonderful. <laughs> And the sources we are looking at, as usual, is the show. But not all of it. How much of it have you watched? So we were initially going to do this episode of our podcast, like we did the Hannibal episode. And you had given me a a series of of episodes to watch, which we had taken from a a website, which we should probably post, because the person who put together that website of Steric episode really did. A champ, truly. A a wonderful job. They were color-coded with hearts about sort of the intensity of the Stericness of it all. It was very in-depth. And wonderful. So I had started doing that. I watched a couple episodes of the first season. And then I watched uh, episode 202, which is for people who've seen Teen Wolf, the season where Jackson is a canima, which is if you haven't seen Mm -hmm. Teen Wolf, we're probably not going to get into it. But I was like, I'm enjoying this. I'm just going to keep watching it. And so I watched all of season two, all of season three. I looped back around and watched all of season one. So I've seen all of the first three seasons at this point, plus yep. the series finale, which is important for our, our discussion today. Yes. And I have seen a little bit more than that, but not all of it. I know I have seen, it's possible I've seen all of season four and like an episode or two of season five, but I don't remember it that well. And and I was watching a lot of this, not necessarily right when it was on, but probably like I would watch a season right after it came out. So I was watching it almost contemporaneously. So it's been a minute. Unlike you, I watched the guide that I made for you. So I watched the like nine or 10 episodes that I had originally planned for you. So I am fresh on some of the stuff, mostly just the the stericky stuff that we're going to be talking about today. And I guess it's worth saying, right, there were no season four or season five or other season six episodes within my watch guide. So it's not as if I didn't watch those. Right. So sorry, it's not going to be quite as fun as our Hannibal episode where I was trying to piece things together. I definitely want to do more of something like that in the future with another show because as I was watching just the random collection of episodes, I was really excited to see what you were making of it because it was even fewer episodes than when we did Hannibal. So it would have been even more confusing because so much goes on in this show plot-wise. And like every episode I was watching, there were new characters that you hadn't met before. (laughs) It was like a totally wild experience. So for some show, we will do that in the future. Either a show you haven't seen or a show I haven't seen. Unfortunately, I was just having too good of a time. I had to know what was going on with Jackson and the camera. I can't fault you for having too good of a time. That's always what I'm hoping for in these situations. So let's get into the why of the ship. Before we get into the specific history of Styles and Derek together in the canon, We should talk about the fact that there's quite a bit, actually, of canon evidence, 
mostly subtextual, I guess, or at least not confirmed, but evidence right. nonetheless that Styles is bisexual. So we should run through all of these Styles beats so that you have a sense of that before we get into Styles and Derek. So it really is just a series of moments throughout the show where Styles either doesn't deny an attraction of to men or seems to be unusually concerned about whether or not men are attracted to him. <laughs> right. So there is a, a canon gay character in the show named Danny. In the first season, Styles is talking to Scott, who is our protagonist for the show, who is our titular teen wolf. And he asks him, am I not attractive to gay guys? Which he follows up by then specifically asking Danny, do you find me attractive? <laughs> and then later on, there is a case happening where virgins are getting killed or disappearing or something. And Styles is a virgin and he becomes very concerned that he is now in danger to this supernatural creature. And so he's in the locker room just like sort of ranting at Scott about how he needs to have sex right now. <laughs> Someone needs to sex him right now. And Danny, who's also in the locker room, is next to him and jokingly is like, I'll do it. You want to come over to my house tonight? And makes him this proposition. And Styles, instead of being like, haha, good one, <laughs> Danny, is like, wait, really? <laughs> he's like flattered and surprised. And then, are you serious? And then he's like, you're joking, aren't you? And Danny's like, of course. And Styles is like, it's not nice, Danny, to toy with a guy's emotions. And then the last bit is, again, not to get too deep into the lore, kind of around the same storyline. There's a character we meet who, when we meet her, she's with her girlfriend. And her girlfriend dies, very unfortunately. And then later, that same character is at a rave they all go to. <laughs> and she starts making out with Styles, And Styles goes, I thought you liked girls. And the character, Caitlin, goes, I do like girls. Do you? And Styles goes, absolutely. So you also like boys? And Caitlin goes, absolutely. Do you? And then Styles just doesn't respond. Yeah, it like breaks his brain. Yeah. <laughs> she asks him, do you like boys? And he sort of like looks off into the middle distance and is like, uh. <laughs> right. Well, that was an interesting moment for Styles' own sense of his self-identity right and and so all of these moments together sort of add up to this picture of a nebulous bisexual styles that's never confirmed jeff davis the creator has acknowledged that there is this subtext in the show and has said we've certainly made some hints to the possibility of styles being bisexual but this is not a thing that ever like becomes recognized canonically but yeah that's sort of the backdrop in which we find our two guys, Derek and Styles. So I guess let's run through some beats of their storyline. Right. So as we said, Styles is a teen. He's the best friend of our, our main character, Scott, who gets turned into a teen wolf. And initially they think Derek is the one who bit Scott and turned him. And so there's tension between all three of them, honestly, but certainly between Styles and, and Derek. And so out of this sort of tension and banter, I think, comes the initial shipping impulse, right? Yes. The two of them have a very bantery, I mean, I guess they're technically like would qualify as an enemies to lovers sort of ship, but they're not really enemies. They're after the first couple of episodes, they're mostly begrudging allies. But banter is the main thing that defines <laughs> their relationship with each other. There start to be these various moments where they're having to rely on each other because they're all constantly in life or death situations. So Derek ends up getting shot with a, a wolfsbane bullet. He's getting poisoned by the wolfsbane in the bullet. Scott is off somewhere else trying to figure out how to 
fix this and Styles sort is left. of right. He doesn't honestly care that much. But Styles is left with this injured werewolf who really needs his help. And it comes to a point where he decides he is going to need to cut his arm off if Scott doesn't get here soon. Because if the poison gets to his heart, he could die. And mm-hmm. so he's demanding that Styles be the one to cut off his arm. And Styles is, of course, kind of concerned. <laughs> about how terrible that's going to be. But he does finally get to a point where he's about to do it. And then, of course, Scott comes in and, and saves the day. But that's the first of their, like, Derek's life is in, in Styles' hands. And they're bonding. And then in season one, that continues because Derek is on the run from the law. He ends up hiding out in Styles' room, which is kind of awkward because Styles' dad is the sheriff of the town, <laughs> who's the one looking for Derek. And so they have this moment where Derek is trying to threaten Styles into not saying anything to his dad, and he shoves him up against his bedroom door. And they're, you know, all up in each other's faces and he's trying to threaten him. But mostly it's a lot of sexual tension where they're like staring at each other's lips and making threats. And you're like, this is super intimate. (laughs) And then season two, some more characters are introduced. There's a, a point where one of Derek's betas which is a wolf that he has turned. A wolf subordinate. A wolf subordinate. I don't know if that's how... They would like it to be phrased, but yeah, that's kind of what it is. Is in prison and it's about to be the full moon and so they need to get him out of there. And Derek is like, I'll get us in. I'll be the distraction. And Styles doesn't really believe that he can be a distraction because he's just so <laughs> silent and grumpy all and the sour, time. sour, yes. So yeah, he's trying to be like, well, what are you going to do? Like, tell me what you're going to do as the distraction. And... He won't tell him and it turns out his plan is to flirt with the woman who runs the front desk <laughs> yes. which as Styles comes in and sees Derek who's so grumpy all the time smiling which he never does and being, being charming and flirting yeah with this woman and he just can't get over it <laughs> like it was the last thing he expected I guess the next moment in season two is so I mentioned it before the character Jackson is a canima which is a person who gets bitten by a wolf, but they have too much emotional turmoil, so they can't turn fully into a a werewolf. So instead, he turns into a lizard creature who can paralyze people with a venom. and Which is pretty freaking cool, actually. His powers are great. It's a good storyline. And so he ends up paralyzing Derek, and Styles is, is with Derek again. Scott is off. Doing Scott stuff. I think stuff. he's playing the cross or something. I don't know. Yes, I think he's playing the cross and Styles was supposed to like sneak into the principal's office to steal something and right. so he's in the school and runs into Derek. And this right. is all taking place at the pool. Within the school. So Styles ends up pulling Derek into the pool to get away from the canima and they figure out that the canima is, is afraid of water. And so he ends up with Derek in the pool, just like floating him around. Treading water and holding Derek up for hours. This is season two. They've known each other a while at this point. I think in Styles' mind, it's like, well, maybe we don't like each other, but obviously we need to work together. We're allies at this point. So I'm holding you up because that's what allies do. And Derek still in his mind is like, well, the only reason you're holding me up is because once I can be a wolf again, I'm the only one who can protect you from the cannima. So in his mind, their relationship is still very transactional and and Styles is not pleased (laughs) that that's where Derek thinks their relationship still is. And then he's like, I'm getting really tired. I'm not going to be able to hold this up forever. I got to run to the side of the pool, get my phone, call Scott. And to do that, I'm going to have to drop you (laughs) into the pool, make the call and then pull you back up again. So you're going to have to trust me that I'm going to come back for you. And Derek is like, 
I don't trust you. You don't trust me. But Styles, of course, does it anyway. And then can't get a hold of Scott because fucking Scott is he never answers his phone ever. <laughs> so Not he when it's important. Goes down and pulls Derek up again and basically gets to a point where they're both going to go down. Styles is too tired to hold him up tries to swim over to the edge of the pool and grab onto something, but he can't get it. They both go underwater. And that, of course, is when Scott shows up. He always shows up at the very last second. If you're paralyzed, could you float in a pool? Because people float. I have wondered that a lot, right? (laughs) Because, yeah, people float. You would think if you just positioned him on his back, he would float. But it's less dramatic that way. I don't know. And then they could both be, oh, they could be floating around the pool like otters. Like otters hooked to each other. Oh, that's a missed opportunity. (laughs) That would be so cute. Okay. Anyway, they bond again. I think also in that episode, there's this shared moment of understanding where Derek figures out that the creature is a canima and he's explaining to them what it is to be a canima. And Scott is, you know, kind of getting it, I guess, but Styles realizes, like, they have this moment where he's saying, it's something wrong about the Canima, it's, and Styles is like, an abomination, and he and Derek share this meaningful look where it's like, you get what I'm saying, or whatever. So yeah, their their relationship is growing. They're Definitely. bonding. And then the, talk about the last, I, I know you like this moment. Yes, this uh, I think this two. is my favorite Steric moment in the series. So again, they're still trying to figure out what's going on with the Canima. It turns out the Canima is being controlled by this character named Matt. So they all end up at the police station. And Derek has been paralyzed by the Canima and is on the ground. And then Styles is talking to Matt and the Canima paralyzes him and he does this amazing pratfall the way dylan o'brien can we by the way talk about how delightful dylan o'brien is and his physical comedy in particular yeah is great and he falls on top of Derek, and you know just like a a classic ship moment of these two characters one on top of the other your shipping end up pressed front to front against each other for whatever reason that's a classic ship moment so he falls yeah he falls onto him and Derek is like get him off of me and Matt the villain is like I don't know Derek you two make a pretty pretty good good. pair (laughs) and so then for the rest of that episode the two of them do end up laying next to each other both paralyzed and having conversations about what they're gonna do (laughs) to get out of this situation all right now we're in uh season three yes Uh, and honestly most of the season three moments are kind of in season 3a because there's a very distinct change in the plot between the first half of season three and the second half of season three and styles isn't really himself in the second half of season three but we have an episode called chaos rising where they're trying to get a couple of Derek's betas back who've been kidnapped and it involves them having to plan a bank heist and so Styles is always the planner because he's the brains of this operation. And mm-hmm. so he's looking over the blueprints of the bank and he's planning for, oh, we'll get into this wall and then you'll have to get through this wall and you'll do that. And Derek is like, his plan is always just to go in and wing it for the most part. So yeah. he's like, yeah, if you get me in the wall, like, it's fine. I'll get into the vault. And Styles is like, you know, has all this information where he's like, well, you're in there. You got like three inches of space with which to break through this amount of wall or whatever. And he's sort of taunting Derek and he's grabbing his fist he's like make that big old fist Derek show me and he's like putting his hand three inches in front of Derek's fist and Derek punches his hand violently real hard very strong and then Styles is kind of like he can do it (laughs) and also in that moment he's trying Derek's trying to figure out who will come with him to get into the bank vault and his evil uncle Peter has no interest in joining and so he asks how about you meaning 
Scott. <laughs> right. werewolf. But Styles assumes he means him. And he's like, well, if you want me to come, I'll come. <laughs> oh, you mean Scott. Okay. <sighs> and then later in that season, Boyd, one of Derek's betas, ends up dying in a really depressing way and styles comes over and puts a hand on derek's shoulder to comfort him which is nice because derek's usually not super fond of being touched for a lot of reasons and then weirdly at the end of the third season obviously a lot of things plot wise have happened but derek is has this fever dream of styles out of nowhere because <laughs> they haven't really yeah. interacted in a while and this dream version of Styles helps him talk through what's going on in the episode. He figures out what's real and he gets back to himself. And interestingly, Jeff Davis, the creator, when talking about this scene, said that the inspiration for it came from this Ambrose Bierce short story, An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, that's about a man hallucinating he's returning home to his wife as he is dying. So it's like, he loves to to say there's romantic subtext to all of these <laughs> Right. Some Derek moments. You didn't have to say, oh, yeah, I based that scene on a man thinking about his wife. Yeah, it could have been a different dynamic that he compared it to. But that's, you know, the majority of the moments in seasons one through three. And then I guess there's the finale as well, where mm -hmm. basically, from what I can tell, a bunch of stuff has happened in season yes. four, five, and six. There's a ton of new characters who are introduced. But in the end, everyone from all the seasons who are still alive need to team up to defeat Gerard, who is the patriarch of the, the hunters. And so everyone comes back. The gang's yep. all here. The gang's all here. So in the beginning of the episode, Scott, who's still around, still the, the teen wolf, but he's not a teen anymore. And, and his underlings now are fighting some big battle and it's like maybe things aren't going super well you you know maybe they're gonna lose or something and then out of nowhere comes styles's iconic blue jeep yeah, <laughs> they hit a guy with a car they hit a guy with a car and styles out his window says you didn't think you were gonna do this without me did you and then Derek pops in the frame and says without us <laughs> <laughs> just so silly but also like the greatest way you could have brought those characters back into the episode yeah. so they roll into town together from god knows where they've been well they were in uh, south america that's where the the story they tell about well yeah so they're, they're explaining how they got together to the rest of the team and why they ended up showing up and it turns out that Derek had been in South America. Styles has been working at the FBI though. Is how He's an intern that. with the FBI yeah. and Derek is often in South America doing South American things and basically Styles finds out through his internship that Derek's been causing a ruckus or they think Derek's been causing a ruckus and so he talks his way onto a, like a raid in another country as an intern. Right. He's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a good talker. Styles is. To go uh, rescue Derek. It's a wonderful example of, you know, when characters will tell the same story and you're revealing the truth. So initially, Styles says we saved Derek and they show Derek leaning on him, clinging to him. Yeah, and, Styles and helping to like drag him out of the building. And right. then Derek's like, that's not how it happened. <laughs> you couldn't walk. And right. I know that because I was carrying you. <laughs> and then they cut to Derek's version of events where uh, he's like bridal style carrying Styles <laughs> yes. out of the yeah. building. And Very Styles romantic. is wailing about his hurt, you know. He'd gotten shot in whatever. the foot. Yeah, he got he got shot in the toe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's good times. Their dynamic continues to be delightful. To, I guess it stands to say that like they don't get together in the end. 
Yeah. It seems like Styles is with Lydia at the end. I couldn't quite tell. It's like vaguely implied, but not really confirmed, which I thought was an interesting way to to go out. They certainly left the door open for shippers of any ilk to feel like yeah. okay about the ending. But yeah, those are the beats. Of Derek and Styles in the show, you wanted to talk about this trope, one of our new favorite yeah. tropes that we didn't know about <laughs> and before we started doing this podcast. So I was looking at the fan lore page, and they talked about the sort of tropes this pairing generally falls into. And as you mentioned, there's a bit of enemies to lovers, but one of the tropes the fan lore brought up was small guy, big guy, which we have seen a number of examples of through this podcast, even if we didn't quite name them as that. Yep. But the fan lore helpfully points out a thing which I think we also noticed, which is Derek is the big guy. And he is very, he's muscular. He's, he's ripped. He's, he's definitely been working out. Yeah, he's definitely jacked. But uh, Styles is not a small man. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you look at them next to each other in the show, even early seasons, and Dylan O'Brien started the show when he was like 18 years old. So I'm sure over the course of it, he grew a couple of inches. Right. You know, men can grow till they're 25. But even in the early seasons, they stand next to each other. Tyler's maybe an inch taller than Dylan. <laughs> right. There's not a huge difference in their heights. And then you look at Dylan and it's like, he's a, he's broad. He's not a small guy. He's got really broad shoulders. But particularly when you look at him next to Scott, to Tyler Posey, he's yes. much broader in the shoulders. And as I noticed throughout the show, anytime you see his hands, he has enormous... <laughs> What I describe as meat hooks. They're meat hooks. He has huge <laughs> forearms and hands. They're and manly. Like, They're manly hands. This is not a tiny little boy. It's not a small guy. But as I feel like we have encountered multiple times before, the small guy, big guy dynamic is not necessarily about physicality. It's a state of mind more than anything else. Right. Because I think if you look at the double Q example, which I think is also the same trope, I'm pretty sure Ben Wishaw is as tall, if not taller. Than oh, yeah, he might Daniel be taller. Craig. I mean, he's more willowy. He's certainly thinner. It's again, he's yeah. less muscular. Right. But um, he's not, you know, teeny tiny. <laughs> but I just find the trope is really about there being one like laconic, grumpier guy. <laughs> yeah. Who's, who's like the brawn, I guess. And then mm. one guy who's often neurotic and kind of loud and the brains. Right. That's like, that's what that trope is. One is like hyper masculine coded yep. and one is less masculine. Less hyper masculine coded. Yeah. yeah. That's really what it is. Now that we know about that trope, I see it everywhere and I look for it everywhere. Yes. <laughs> but I, I think that brings us to at the end of our summation of the canon. So we should get into what the creators say and do. As always, let's start with our actors. Mm -hmm. I guess we should start with hysteric themselves tyler hecklin and dylan o'brien they seemingly were like pretty much on board with this ship right they right. really liked each other i think from every interview i've ever seen with them they just enjoyed each other's company and enjoyed doing scenes together so then when they found that people were enjoying their dynamic they were both in for like well, yeah let's do more of that <laughs> we like acting together it's fun we like the idea of it and then this ends up translating into both them talking about how they enjoy the ship but right. also the PR machinery of the show leading into that and using their fondness for the ship to to do promotional material for the show. Right. So this happens a lot. There's tons of examples of it, but there's this particularly iconic, I guess, moment of queer baiting history of the show where Teen Wolf's nominated for some Teen Choice Award in 2012 and 
they make a couple of these videos where Dylan and Tyler are cuddling, there's no yes. other word for it, no, on don't. a ship. <laughs> and they have Dylan say, we're on a ship. And Tyler says, pun intended. <laughs> the whole premise of it is them being like, vote for us. And then maybe we'll cuddle some more, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you, if you want, if you want more of this, us if wrapped around this, each other. Yeah, vote for us. Yeah. And then they just sort of nap together. It's like a weird moment because you're watching, you're like, this is fun. And clearly they're enjoying this thing. But it's also yeah. like the weirdest transactional use of this queer ship. Right. <laughs> where, where it's totally apparent what they're doing. It's not hidden in any no. way. So that's a wild moment. But anyway, for the most part, the two of them are pretty, you know, on board with the Steric Shippers. They're, I, I don't ever really see them having aggressive confrontational moments with fans about it. They're not the type where it's like, that's not how the character is. So you guys could just be quiet. I guess we took it out. There was that quote from Dylan about how Styles is not bisexual. Oh yeah, that was an interesting moment. Because of all of the subtext of him being bisexual, there was a point where Dylan was saying like, you know, I think it's a really cool thing about the character that he can be read this way and down the the avenue of like, he just isn't attracted to the gender. He sees people as people like that Mm -hmm. sort of quote. And then almost immediately he had to like issue a clarification (laughs) where, where he said that Styles is not bisexual, which was weird. Clearly there's something going on behind the scenes there. But yeah, in terms of the steric of it all for the most part they just seemed to enjoy it whether or not it was ever going to be I I think there were moments like that too where Tyler had sort of talked about well you never know with this show kind of encouraging fans and then later having to be like but I I didn't mean it's actually gonna happen because (laughs) you never know we'll get into this we're gonna talk about there's a turn as the show progresses and it seems like the actors were then also encouraged to walk back what might have seemed like commitments (laughs) or yeah it you not just commitments, but encouragement right. to that part of the fandom that then later it was like, stop encouraging them. <laughs> but yes, we'll get into that later. There's one member of the cast not yes. so into the shipping. Tyler Posey, who plays Scott McCall, who is, as we've said, the titular Teen Wolf, the lead of the show, number one on the call sheet, I'm sure, has said, and, and to be fair, I don't know all of the lead up to this. <laughs> But has said multiple not super fuzzy things about Steric, but in this quote in particular, got in a bit of trouble with the fandom for saying, I think Steric is a bizarre, weird, twisted thing. And I think that anyone who pays more attention to Steric than the show isn't watching the show for the right reasons. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. It's not what you'd want. I mean, even if you are upset about the ship for whatever reason, I think... Your PR training would probably teach you to just say something noncommittal about it (laughs) and let people make of that what they will. So I think he probably had to walk that back a little bit as well. But as you said, like, who knows what's going on, what fans have said or done or whatever to him. We never really know what. We just don't know what's going on with him. But it didn't seem like he was in the same space as Dylan O'Brien and Tyler Hecklin. But yeah, I mean, there's not a super ton to get into there. Normally, at this point, we would get into the writer's creator's quotes, which in this case is Jeff Davis, our creator. But not in this case, because really, that is the heart of the matter. So I think we're going to save all of the Jeff Davis business for later. 
just a, it just just in a little bit when we begin to have the creators and and fans interact because it's it's a journey. It truly is. That's a great way to phrase it. First, let's do a brief interlude where we get into the the literature, starting with AO3, our fan fiction. This is a juggernaut of a ship. This mm-hmm. is the number three most popular ship on our AO3 stats list. They have about 60,000 fan works in just this ship, obviously more in Teen Wolf in general. This is the most popular ship in the Teen Wolf fandom. You know, it's it's a big ship. Number three yeah. is a big ship. <laughs> so- and when it wasn't included, what was it on an EW poll? The Advocate put together like a, a March Madness of, of gay ships or queer ships on shows. And this one, it beat out Yeah, Destiny. There was, which, yeah. That's its own interesting thing. I mean, it was of the moment when it beat out Destiny. Yeah, I think it was like 2014 or something, right? But yeah, that was a moment of contention too, because fans were trying to write them in for this EW favorite ships poll, and they got artificially rejected because they weren't canon. And then fans they weren't were... an established will they, won't they? Yeah, who's Whatever to say they're that not means. an established will they, won't they? What the hell is an established will they, won't they? Anyway, good on the advocate for making their own poll. So the most popular fan fiction in this ship is a fic called Lock All the Doors Behind You by Entangled Now. And it doesn't quite fit into our usual, you know, the rules that we right. have mostly encountered. It's not super short. Though it's also not super explicit. It's like an interesting middle ground. It's a little bit longer than our usual fix, but it is not really smutty. So the premise of it is very Teen Wolfy. Couldn't do this in most other ships. Something has happened to Derek. We don't know what it is. It happens off screen. But at first he just goes missing and then they find him. And some sort of trauma has caused him to regress or something into this like feral werewolf state where he Mm -hmm. can't change back into his human form doesn't really talk doesn't seem he's like just his base instincts and nothing else and all of the his werewolf friends try to approach him but he views them all as threats because they all smell like werewolves and so they bring styles in Styles is the only one that he's not threatened by. So they basically end up just like foisting him on Styles, who is left to take care of this nonverbal werewolf <laughs> creature while they all try to figure out how to fix him. What are your thoughts? It was longer than usual. Yeah. But it was fine. It was, you know, good, fine, longer. Yeah. I, it's sweet, I think. And, uh, you know, they end up bonding and Styles in his usual styles way figures out some you know way to help solution derek he's always figuring out the solution that's yeah. styles's thing but yeah i mean nothing hugely revolutionary to say about it we do it's been a few weeks i think since we said this but we do have some interesting scholarly works that we u- used in our research we've been dropping off the scholarly literature a little bit and i think we should make a concerted effort to get back to it but this week it wasn't even a case of you know general scholarly literature on fandom and fan fiction how it operates very teen wolf specific and also in one case really doing the work for us in terms of the fan creator interaction so throughout sort of the rest of the discussion we're pretty heavily referencing two pieces one is clawing through the fourth wall interactions between the fans and creators of mtv's teen wolf by emily thomas And the other is, smile, Derek. Why don't you smile more? The Objectification of Derek Hale and Queer Baiting in MTV's Teen Wolf by Jacqueline Elliott and Megan Fowler. 
We love all of you, Emily, Jacqueline, and Megan. You guys, this episode so much easier for us. So this finally brings us to Mr. Jeff Davis, our creator, and what are his thoughts and feelings and how did he interact with the fandom? It is, as you said earlier, a journey. Yes. So initially, Jeff Davis is extremely supportive of the shipping and the shipping activity. And again, as we're going to go on this journey, right, he is, I think, unfortunately for him in the end, setting some expectations, which maybe he's not going to follow through on. Yes. So sort of the initial quote we have from him is, is acknowledging the actors chemistry together. And he says, there's always a lot of fun to be had with characters who seemingly despise each other, and then have to work together to survive. In a funny way, that's how a lot of romantic comedies begin. The two leads always start out absolutely hating each other until they find their common ground. This is the first of many times that Jeff Davis himself introduces like a romantic framing. Right. That's how it begins as early as the beginning of the second season. So the first season, they have a few episodes where they're having these moments together and fans Mm -hmm. got interested. And then by the time they were putting out season two, like it had come to Jeff Davis's attention <laughs> that people right. were shipping Styles and Derek. And he ended up at the time tweeting to people, well, if enough fans demanded it, who knows? I could be persuaded. Smiley face. Okay. Oh, you did it to yourself, Jeff Davis. <laughs> and so in also in these, when he's first becoming aware of them and first talking about them in interviews, he kind of is having a learning experience in the beginning of the show. He wasn't aware of the concept of shipping or I assume queer rating. (laughs) And so he's publicly learning what shipping is and then being like, oh, that's what shipping is. I'm a shipper. Like I used to ship Mulder and Scully on the X-Files and that sort of thing. And trying to get on the level with fans. The main experience of the early seasons of this is them doing fan outreach, trying to bring fans into the experience and trying to have a good fun time together. <laughs> right. And sort of outside of Davis as well, MTV is really encouraging the transformative fandom side of things, right? So we found out they're organizing fanfic contests for... And for... specifically encouraging slash fanfic to be part of the submissions. Right. And so, you know, I guess really nicely at the beginning, it is engendering this very positive fan creator relationship. Jeff Davis is a gift, becomes a a catchphrase throughout the fandom, which Mm -hmm. initially very rosy, very positive, because the creators are saying we're listening to you and we might follow through on what you want. Exactly. Well, and and it's already pretty novel and refreshing to have your creators even acknowledging that your ship exists in the first place and not outright dismissing it as soon as they hear about it and saying to you, we love your shipping. We love fan fiction. We encourage your input is basically the message that they're putting out at first. So when do things start to take a bit of a turn? So I guess the problem, right, is the show is continuing on. They do not seem to be following through on all these things they're kind of playing along with. But also the show is maybe disappointing the audience in in different ways as well. Davis in particular gets into conflict with the fans over other kinds of representation in the show as well, not just the, the queer representation. 
So fans accuse him of sidelining characters of color. So Boyd, who we mentioned earlier on, is, is a black character who gets killed. He does end up getting killed and beforehand has very few lines. So there are three betas. There's a, a white guy, a white lady, and a black guy. And mm-hmm. I can tell you why the white guy and the white lady wanted to be turned, but did Boyd want to just be turned because he didn't have any friends? <laughs> It, it does seem to be sort of the implication. Like it's, it's yeah, because the white guy is being abused by his dad and needs to like take back power in his situation. The white girl has epilepsy and it could kill her. So if she becomes a wolf that she won't be sick anymore. And then Boyd, it is sort of like, he's lonely. I don't, it's, <laughs> it's unclear. There's a lot less clarity to his storyline. Right. So yeah, Davis responds to this and his response is, not great. Yeah. He writes on Tumblr, which I, another thing fans liked about him was that he had a Tumblr. Oh, and there was an official Teen Wolf Tumblr too. Like. Yes. So he puts out this message that he calls a message about race and racism in Teen Wolf. And so he sort of starts by talking about how it's difficult to be a showrunner, basically. Like, it's hard to figure out how to get all these stories in together. It's tough to get everybody equal screen time. We got budget constraints. We got supporting characters. Yeah, the actor plays Boyd is in a weird contract situation specifically. things outside the show where Cinqua Walls, who plays Boyd, didn't necessarily want to renew his contract. So sometimes you have external factors. And then he gets to talking about the fact that he is a middle class white man, has privilege, potentially lacks insight into issues facing non-middle class white men. And it kind of acknowledges he does skirt issues of race and sexual politics. And that's because he thinks that he might not necessarily be the best voice to handle those issues so he leaves it with i i love the passion all of the fans bring to the show and i'm glad it creates far more of a discourse than i ever expected (laughs) but unsurprisingly i think if you know how the internet works this didn't satisfy people he got a lot of negative responses he ends up deleting his twitter and tumblr accounts which you know things are going bad when (laughs) people ditch their social media fans start to complain that the writing staff for the show is not diverse enough and that's probably contributing to their issues so the show does start to hire some more writers of color but it doesn't really solve the, the root of the issue so Obviously, as we've said, Boyd dies, so that's its own thing. Danny, who is the main gay character, is also not white. He's a person of color. And his character, for unknown reasons, never explained in the show, and also never explained outside of the show, just disappears after the end of season three. (laughs) Yeah, it's very strange. (laughs) He never comes back. It's never explained. Outside of the show, they're like, well, I guess he graduated early. It's not really an explanation. So we have that. People are not really satisfied with his response to the allegations of race issues in the show. And while that's happening, we also have a change in the way that the show and Jeff Davis are addressing the issue of Steric. Before we move on, because I do like to always note when this comes up, and we've talked about this a bunch, right? The complaint about this being a show that just centers on the experience of white characters. Mm-hmm does not acknowledge the fact that the lead is, in fact, Hispanic. Correct, yes. Tyler Posey, who plays Scott McCall, is Hispanic. Yes. And so that obviously complicates things. Right. Which is not to say the show 
just because the lead is Hispanic is sufficiently diverse. That's not the argument that I'm making. I just think it is always worthwhile when we are uh, making the argument for more diversity to acknowledge, to to not just say everyone's white when everyone's not white. That's a thing that happens a lot. And it's, it's like weird erasure. Yeah. I mean, obviously we can always argue for more and better representation, but definitely whitewash the characters that are already there is interesting. Though, as you and I were discussing earlier, in his efforts to create a world with no racism, no homophobia, like this is a stated goal of Jeff Davis, the non-whiteness of Scott is, I don't think, ever addressed in the show, which, you know, is a totally valid choice for storytelling, but also probably contributes to the fact that people are like painting the show with this brush of nobody being a person of color right which is problematic in its own way as well it's we don't want to get too sidetracked this could be because it's a rabbit hole of problematicness (laughs) (laughs) with no clear answers i just i want to acknowledge that tyler posey is not yeah i think that we'll actually come back to that in a little bit too but yeah while this race conversation is happening there's a parallel conversation about what's going on with steric so the like way that they had been writing to that pairing and the way people enjoyed their chemistry and they were putting more of them in the show and talking about how they were going to put more of them in the show because people liked them so much that changes course (laughs) takes a sharp turn And they start to have fewer and fewer scenes with Styles and Derek together at the same time that Styles and Derek are getting a bunch of new female love interests in a way that neither of them really were. So fans who at this point are kind of souring on their relationship with Jeff Davis start to read this as a way that the show and the creators are intentionally trying to get people to stop shipping Steric. Right. <laughs> Which is interesting because it doesn't necessarily stop them from encouraging Steric shippers when they're nominated for an award or there's something publicly where they can rally the fan base, but it doesn't ever translate into anything happening on the show. Right. So people are getting pretty disillusioned at this point with Jeff and the show in general. And then, yeah, we get to this kind of unfortunate quote yeah it's Jeff just it's like, not only does is all this stuff actually you know happening but it, jeff davis's tone towards the fans really shifts as well in a yeah. way that's you know it's really too bad it, it all it sort of feeds on itself like i get it this isn't the first time we've seen something like this you try to be friendly with the fans then the fans criticize you and you can either take that criticism and use it to try to grow or whatever or you can become defensive as a lot of people do so yeah the asteric fan in a 2013 so it really hasn't even been that long <laughs> 2013 q a asteric fan expresses displeasure with a relationship on the show between derek and a female love interest jennifer blake and davis answers if you don't feel it's worth watching anymore all you have to do is stop the truth is no show is written by the fans it's written by normal people like me and my team of writers yeah, that's mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the implication that the fans are not normal people is probably not what I would have gone with. And it really is a shift in tone from, hey, I'm a shipper, to you guys are not normal. Which is sad. We found this interesting comparison in one of our scholarly articles about the homophobia of the original film, Teen Wolf, which mm-hmm. is technically what this show is based on but let's be real not at all what the show is based on but there is I guess a scene in the movie where when Scott is figuring out that he's a werewolf he's trying to tell his best friend 
and his friend thinks that he's coming out to him as gay and is really concerned about that. And so is, I guess, relieved when he finds out that he's saying he's a werewolf and not that he's gay, which is a bummer of a scene. And so Jeff Davis has talked a lot of times about how when he created the show, his intention, as we said earlier, was to create this utopia with no homophobia, no racism. What he said, right, is if it's a world where werewolves exist, it can be a world where homophobia doesn't. Which, like, right. true. It's fiction. <laughs> Love that idea. Yeah, it, the show starts with there are some queer characters, some POC characters, and there's not any homophobia. Like, the uh, Danny, the gay character, is best friends with Jackson, who's the asshole villain of their high school. And yeah. there's no weirdness about one of them being gay. Which, side note, in the end of the show, they bring Jackson back, and it turns out he's been gay all along. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> The idea of it was queer characters and straight characters can coexist in harmony and be friends with each other. And isn't that great? And then we get to a point where it's like in the first couple of seasons, Danny is the main gay character, doesn't really have any love interest or romantic life going on when it's seemingly most of the other characters are. In season three, he does end up getting a boyfriend, which I guess potentially is in response to complaints about this. But then... He ends up disappearing. Our LGBTQ characters can feel sort of sidelined in a lot of these storylines. Some of our female characters get killed off in unpleasant ways. Characters of color are dying. And so it's starting to feel a little bit less like his happy, fun utopia. Well, it's just falling into the patterns that we see over and over again. Like, it's not necessarily an intentional decision, but it is like you fall into patterns of heteronormativity. You fall into... Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if we've said this, but Jeff Davis is a gay man. We've discussed this many times. Any writer, gay, straight, whatever, can fall into the same heteronormativity, androcentrism, like all of the things that affect society affect writers too, no matter what the writer's orientation. So what had started with the best of intentions in this like fun, friendly, loving environment takes a turn, which is sad. This is kind of like a tragedy of a story. Yeah, it is. That's not to say that we shouldn't talk about the good things about this show. I think the attempts, at least in the beginning, to bring fandom in on the creative process and accept shippers, which is a thing that a lot of shows definitely don't do, and just use social media to engage with fans on a level that is, at least was at the time, pretty unconventional. Is, is cool. I think it's an interesting case study. So I, I think in one of the papers we read as well, they compared it to the Lord of the Rings example that we talked about where Peter Jackson and co use similar techniques to bring fans in. But as we mm-hmm. talked about, right, and as you do with like any community engagement process, it really is all about expectation setting. Yes. So I think in some ways, right, Peter Jackson had it easy in that fans did not have an expectation that they were going to somehow radically shift to the way the story was told in part because they're making all the movies at once. So it's not this yeah. ongoing relationship like we've talked about, but also it's based on a book. So the story is mm-hmm. set. Whereas they did a really bad job of expectation setting with the fans. And then that leads to a lot of disappointment. Yes. Because it's one thing to be like, oh, we've learned that you're shipping these characters and we think it's super cool that you ship these characters, but just so you know, that's not going to happen on the show. Like to have said earlier on, we appreciate that, but Derek is straight or whatever, like something that was just closing the door on the idea of it in a way that never happened. And instead they leaned into encouraging it, a lot of them. 
and then were left in this situation where they had to walk back a lot of statements they've said in a way that felt kind of like an affront betrayal <laughs> a betrayal to the fans yeah but you know i it's hard it can you can see it either way right they have a commercial incentive to maintain fan investment right yep. and so if you close that door completely you run the risk of people just leaving the fandom or still accusing you right of being homophobic or something because you mm -hmm. won't even consider that the character could be yep. gay or bi so it's a difficult tightrope to walk and i don't know that there's a, a clear solution because everyone is going to react differently right. to whatever path you take but yeah we talked again before we came on that like it seems like the person who has han who handles fan interaction best that we have covered <laughs> I mean, Peter Jackson was fine in The Lord of the Rings was fine, but that's a really yeah, yeah, different yeah. situation. Is Neil Gaiman. Like, just, yep. you gotta, you gotta just be Neil Gaimaning it. Just Neil Gaimaning all the time. But uh, again, he's kind of had it easier too, because though one of, though what we were talking about him for was a television show, it was a limited series. Mm -hmm. And most of what he does is write books. So it's, I think it's smart, but also is easier for him to say, his own thing, which is, you know, canon is canon. Anything anyone says that's not specifically on the page is speculation, whether I say it or you say it or whatever. We're all speculating. It's easier to say that when you put out a book and the canon is the canon. When you're Jeff Davis writing a show, sure, the canon is the canon, but you're writing it right now. <laughs> you're right. writing the canon. So it's hard for you to be like, this can't happen. It's been set in stone. Because why it can't hasn't. it happen? You haven't even put out a new season. You're in the middle of the show. Anything could happen. So I don't know. I don't know what the, the right thing to do. I mean, I, I think the right thing to do, independent of the economic realities and commercial incentive, is to be honest with people and say, this is my intent or this isn't my intent and yep. let that come with whatever it comes with. Yeah. But, you know, it's not art. It's a commercial product. Well, and that is clear that that is how they view it because of the way that they have wielded the ship for commercial means always. <laughs> like yes. the, the, the more they lean into it for like, you have to vote for this thing or watch this thing or buy this thing. We didn't get into it with the um, beats, there, but there was an interesting point in one of our articles where there's a scene at the end of season three that we did talk about where Derek has this vision of styles, even though they haven't really interacted for most of the season. There's also a scene at the end of season four where it seems like Derek is dying and they have this moment where styles is like, they share this loaded eye contact and styles keeps turning back to look at him instead of walking away when he's supposed to. And that's also in a season where they haven't had a ton of interaction. So there's this idea among fans who are feeling pretty queer baited at this point that it's interesting that you have a season where there's very little Styles and Derek interaction. And then in the season finale, you have this important emotional moment for the two of them just to get people to come back <laughs> for the next season. It just feels like an element of manipulation to how the shit yeah. ended up being handled for sure. down the line. So I guess it's time to ask the question. Are we ready? I would like to ask the question. Is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? Kelsey. I think it is well it's definitely queer baiting that yeah there's no way around I think there also is some queer coding I for sure I mean I think Jeff Davis explicitly said there's hints that Styles is bi so yeah. they're coding him as bi but but never making it explicit clearly queer baiting do you feel differently shockingly no I feel yeah. 
the same. When you get into the like that we're on a ship video, I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> That's queer baiting. And yeah, Styles is definitely queer coded, though. That also makes me so sad that Jeff Davis explicitly is like, yeah, Styles is queer coded. And then they ha- make Dylan come out and say, like, I didn't mean that Styles is bi. Like, God. <laughs> Yeah. Why can't we ever have male bi characters? But that's its own conversation. Especially since one of the, his moments is with a female bi character on the show being like, just yeah. you know what? I'm bi. I'm interested in both men and women. What about you? <laughs> it's like, you get your female bi character, but never, never the guy. But yeah, I'm with you. Queer baiting, queer coding, not queer canon. It's a shame. Yeah. What about this question of if we gender swapped one of the characters, would they be a couple? First of all, who are we gender swapping? I mean, I want to gender swap Derek, if I'm sure. being honest. I don't have a problem with that. And then I don't know. I don't know if they would be a couple because they don't really interact and they're very side characters who are tangential to one another. I feel like if you gender swap styles, you enter into the space of like, is she going to end up with Scott, his, oh, his best God, friend who, you know, yeah. is with him all the time. And isn't doesn't that happen in the movie too? Doesn't he have a female friend who he's like going after the blonde and she's a cute brunette? And I'm generally familiar with 85 Teen Wolf, but I have yeah. not seen it. I don't remember that, but it's certainly possible. She has a strange name. Her name's like Boof. So Styles isn't the only weird nickname in the movie? Yeah, her, her name is Boof. Love that. <laughs> I wish there was a Boof in the so show. I feel like if Styles was a lady, he'd be in, in Boof territory. Gender swapping Derek gets into a whole lot of interesting stuff for reasons that we didn't have time to get into in this podcast, but Derek's backstory is already one of intense objectification and Yeah, I guess it makes that like less interesting if yeah. it's just a female character. I don't know. I'm I, I don't, don't feel strong I don't feel strongly about the, the gender swap test, and it already Me is neither. so explicitly queer fading. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that. I don't know that we need that to support it. So what's our hypothesis about why it isn't canon? I don't know. It's not <laughs> it's like they couldn't. Have, they, it's not like they couldn't have done it. It's not like MTV was telling them they couldn't have gay characters because they did. They did have gay characters, multiples who were in gay relationships. And it's also not like they were building these two characters towards great love stories, or it really was a somehow going to be essential to one of their story arcs that they were straight. I don't know what that would look like, but like you know, yeah. You know all those stories where it's essential to their story arc that they're straight. Well, I mean, if you have a if you have a long game in mind where you do have two characters ending well, up together, I, I guess they would probably argue. I guess that they intended all along for Styles and Lydia to get together, but I don't know. I mean, they don't even really have like explicitly have a be together at the end. It's not like there's this big like romantic moment for the two of them. So yeah, they just hold hands, which you can hold hand with your friends. You can hold hands with anybody. <laughs> Exactly. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. Sometimes I feel like these things happen where it's like the the way that things went down with Jeff and the fandom, there's no way he was ever going to make them canon because of the way that he felt they were treating him, right? Right. (laughs) Like, sometimes it just becomes, it it gets personal. (laughs) It's just too adversarial to then turn around and give the fans what they want and to be fair right I think in also in one of the articles there was a quote from a fan who was like I don't even care I, no matter what they do I'm not going to be happy with them so at that yeah. point if you're the writer you're like well then I'm not going to do something to make you happy if you're not going to be happy no matter what I do yeah it just it just got real it got real dark it did 
so i don't know it just it just didn't work out this just wasn't the one one day guys there's gonna be a show where it's two dudes who aren't at first presented as queer who have great chemistry and the writer sees the great chemistry and then makes them canon yeah someday it's gonna happen but yeah this was not this was not that. So what's your rating on our, our queer baiting scale of one? I don't know what these fans are talking about. These two are never in a room together. It's not happening. To five, unrepentant queer baiting. I think it's pretty explicit queer baiting. We're getting into like some textbook queer baiting areas with this. I don't know why, but I just feel like uh, Jeff Davis did this accidentally. <laughs> like There's just something about him where... I feel like he has stumbled into this situation thinking it's all in good fun and then midway realized that it wasn't all in good fun and then tried to back out of it in a way that, of course, pissed off everyone in the fandom. Right. But I, that's, I guess, the only thing keeping me from making it a five. Yeah, he was definitely, I mean, he was he was playing with fire. I don't know. I, I think it is a five. I think it sort of definitionally is. They were trying to yeah. attract and maintain a queer audience who wanted to see queer representation. And it seems like they didn't have any real intention of following through on it because they could have. I guess what's holding me up is just malicious. But I, it is unrepented. It yeah. is unrepentant queer baiting. So I, yeah, it's a five. You're right. Yeah. You've convinced me. It's too bad all around. But anyway, still got some good times out of watching the show, right? <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed the show. I'm glad I, I watched the first three seasons. I very much enjoyed a lot of the characters completely tangentially to the purpose of this podcast. But as yep. I've told you many times, I particularly liked many of the adult characters and cared much more about what's happening with them. They treat their parents well in the show. I love Sheriff Stalinsky. I really appreciate the arc that Papa Argent has. My my main ship for this show, which did not work out, was Sheriff Stalinsky and Scott's mom, Melissa McCall. I'm disappointed. I wanted them to work together so badly. That that didn't happen. Yeah. I enjoyed watching the show. Oh, I guess I should check in. How are we feeling about fan fiction? I have to do my weekly fan fiction check-in. I would say no more movement since yeah. double OQ and, you know, still trying to track down those those fun parody Okay, fanfics. we're going to find you some parody fanfics. Send us parody fanfics if anyone has anything good. What are we talking about next week? Or so, two weeks? Every every week, every time we do this, I say next week and I mean two weeks. Next time. Yeah. Next episode. <laughs> it's another one of our not specific episodes. We've done this a few times now. I think I think each time we've done this, we're like, we're doing something a little different. And I don't know that we can still say that. <laughs> no. Now it's becoming a thing that we do. But, you know... We did an episode on how there's not enough focus on on women in shipping. We talked in our ships we're not going to cover about the lack of of people of color, but there's another real gap in the shipping conversation, something that is being overlooked, and it is not acceptable. (laughs) You're right. And that is sitcoms and other comedy shows. people. Not one of the ships we've talked about has been a half hour. What's the deal with that? Or any comedy, because one of our examples is an hour-long comedy procedural. But yeah, that was something that we noticed as we've been talking about this and going through. There is a a dearth of shipping around characters in comedic shows, and we want to know why. We want to explore that and explore some pairs that we would think people would ship. I mean, they're close as hell in their shows. What's going on? Some of them might spring immediately to mind for you, so I'm sure we will be bringing up some beloved friendships that could be ship ships but we'll get more into that 
next time. What if people want to get in touch with us, Maddie? What if they want to send me that 007 <laughs> parody that I'm looking for? Get her a 007 parody, people. We need your help. If you find it or anything else that you would like to say to us, please do reach out. Our email is ltbkpod at gmail.com. We are on Twitter and Tumblr at ltbkpod. And hey, while you're at it, Leave us a review. Let the Voice Kiss comes out every other Friday at 6 o'clock Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts.